Good evening from Ann Arbor, Michigan, United States. It is May 29th, 2020, and I am just practicing Max Sanders here alone, seeing if I can up my podcast skills so I can level up. If there is a video game analogy here, I'd make it, but I'm not very adept in video games. But what I am adept in is TV. And there's a season I definitely want to talk about. I kind of have a controversial view on the best season of one of the best television shows of all time, I think. I think it's in, on the Mount Rushmore of the main four. So this is my thoughts on The Wire, which, by the way, that Mount Rushmore, it is Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, and The Wire. And I don't think anyone who's worth their salt in the TV game has any other arguments, really. These are kind of the, I mean, these are the, Mount Rushmore, obviously, the best, the presidents, the ones we remember, the ones that kind of still last in pop culture and society. Like The Ringer is has a episode by episode discussion of The Wire that just got released this year and is just immensely popular. So, Clearly, you know, there's still a lot of love for these shows. But unfortunately, the season that I like the most has the least amount of love from pretty much everyone on the internet and all the pundits. I fuck with season two super hard. I just, I absolutely adore it. I've probably watched season two front to back probably 30, 40 times. I just watched it. That sounds gross out loud, actually. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm a little embarrassed that I could watch the same thing uh, for 12 hours and do that 40 times over my adult life. I do have a lot of free time, though, because I'm a bartender who works 20 to 30 hours a week, eight months a year. So I have a lot of free time. And when something sticks in my craw as something that I love, I kind of just, it's comfort food. You know, this is mac and cheese or this is fried chicken or, you know, a nice steak. This is something that, although oddly I don't eat any of those things. I don't know. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be universally communicative towards everybody and how they feel about comfort food. So I picked the most general out of the three. For me, honestly, it would be like oatmeal with almonds and raisins because I'm fucking boring. But uh back to season two uh so the wire in general kind of lets you have a panoramic view of the drug trade in baltimore during the early 2000s like 2000 to 2008 and you kind of learn about the politics behind you know the mayors the governors the councilmen and kind of the horse trading they do and kind of the corruption in that field you learn about the street trade, uh, you know, the different factions, the different uh, crews that, you know, run the uh, dope and coke uh, empires in Baltimore. You learn about the street cops who are trying to make a difference but really don't have the tools because they're taught to kind of just take bodies rather than make large cases. And you learn about the corruption and the conflict in the police department and how screwed up it is. Uh, and how kind of every step forward, there's another three steps back because 
sometimes people don't know what they're doing or sometimes there's corruption and bribery and sometimes they just don't have the manpower or the kind of stamina to to stand in the way of something as powerful as the drug trade, which doesn't seem like it ever goes away in this whole season, whole five seasons, no matter what they do. So it's kind of this immovable object that's always going to be there in some form, no matter how they chip away at it. So I think that's why in contrast to that, because that sounds very depressing. uh, Season two is my favorite because it's a tight knit closed one story because they take a look at the ports of Baltimore and it's kind of high level, um, like Greek mafia, uh, paying people on the ports and the docks to creep things along the docks, you know, drugs, women, uh, and other kind of contraband without, you know, being flagged by the port police. And you kind of get this one fixed story about the ports and how those guys work in the ports, their careers are slowly dying. You know I mean? Like Baltimore port is kind of drying up and these guys are just broke. And these are, you know, third generation, fourth generation, fifth generation of, you know, stevedores. And they're proud of what they do and they love what they do, but they kind of see the pond is shrinking and they're using this money that they're getting bribed by this mafia guy to uh, kind of make dope pub, uh, make political donations and see if they can, you know, get the canal dredged, whatever that means. Uh, it sounds like so they can get more ships in. Uh, I don't know what the word dredged actually means. I should probably look that up. It's a cool word, though. It's fun to say. Dredged. Yeah, I'm going to use that and I'm not going to know what it means. So file that away for later and they want to get you know the grain pier which is one of the uh ports like up back and running so they're using all this money they're getting by doing this illegal stuff to uh donate to political figures that can help them so in the wire in general it's kind of this hopelessness you know the cops are stuck in the mud the drug trade you know people are going to get killed and people are going to go to jail but it's going to keep moving along but it does seem like there is even there's a sadness to that too because no one regime really lasts forever it kind of just a year or two and then they get too big for their own good and then they get taken down a peg no real big kind of wins for the bad guys and i know it sounds weird to say as a negative but you want to you get to know these people and you know it's not black and white cops are good drug dealers are bad you kind of root for both sides you just root for who's the cleverest and who's the most charming as we do on most tv shows about anti-heroes and look at the other three shows on the mount rushmore that's don draper walter white and tony soprano that's a mob boss a meth dealer and a really polygamist not polygamist uh unfaithful uh husband and father and terrible father. And so we're kind of just rooting for, you know, who we like the most. And that's on both sides of the trade in the show, the wire, but no one, no one from the, no one from either side really wins in this season too. It's kind of the Greek mafia guy who kind of controls us all from, you know, 10,000 feet 
kind of wins in the end. He's a little bit smarter than everybody else. He's three or four steps ahead. He's got, they just call him the Greek, by the way, which is a fantastic name. And he even jokes about, he says, I'm not even Greek. So it's like, he's just so much more clever. He's just, he's playing three-dimensional chess while everyone else is playing checkers. So that's always fun. And and the cops themselves actually have a big victory because the whole storyline of this of this season is that they find 13 dead girls in a can or a shipping container in the first episode and it was a you know carton full of prostitutes that were coming over to work for the greek syndicate and the guy who was shepherding them was pouring them out on the ship rather than protecting them one of them didn't want to have sex with anybody fought got killed and the guy panicked and, you know, cut the air tube so no one would, you know, tell the guys what happened. And bam, now the cops are involved in the ports. And, you know, it seems like an impossible case. And it seems like they're not going to be able to solve it. There's so many dead ends. But by the end of it, the cops kind of make a pretty decent A to B case and close those 13 murders and arrest some low-level people and kind of take down the ports, too. So. It's just this encapsulated story that happens within 13 episodes and it feels it feels like it's a movie, you know what I mean? Like, but the rest of The Wire, it's kind of this never ending story of tragedy and double crosses and murder and people fucking up. And I mean, even the book that uh, is about The Wire and like kind of the behind the scenes stuff that's called All the Pieces Matter. So it's like every little detail comes back comes up back later like it <coughs> excuse me it uh it's always it's always something that's gonna be the other shoe to drop you know from season one to season four but in season two most things are kind of held together in this little world i think it's because the port itself is kind of one of the main stars and the rest of the seasons are pretty much on the drug street corners and things adjacent to that and the police and things near to them. The port is completely different. And when you're first introduced to the port, you see these kind of hardworking, it's black and uh, Polish and kind of blue collar, but smart guys who are just really proud and love the thing they do. And they can see that, you know, soon enough that it's going to disappear. And, you know, you're introduced to them. The first scene that really you get, accustomed to them is when they're in a bar and you know it's a, it's their bar there's probably 7500 stevedores and they're telling stories about back in the day you know who could break down this ship faster who stole you know two cases of cognac off this boat and you know guys getting injured or guys coming in drunk and toughing it out you know back in the day stories just to the nth degree and they're just all you can tell they're a unit and they're all friends and they all love each other and they love just being, you know, manly men of yesteryear in this modern age. And, you know, there's a band where the guy has just a serious goatee and one of those flame bowling shirts. And it's kind of that bluegrassing, hard rock, uh, heavy drinking, salt and peppered hair. They look like they're 60 when they're 40. You just get this feeling of this community. And it's, it, I thought about this for a long time. In no other 
community because you're introduced to these kind of groups that are culturally so different than the day-to-day of kind of normal America, but the drug trade and the cops kind of trade, I mean, cops profession in Baltimore, everything's so desolate, everything's so sad. And, you know, you're kind of starting in this place of misery. And yeah, they, I mean, there's funny moments and there's endearing moments and there's moments of love and care and respect from both sides. I mean, there's definitely positive things that occur, but for the most part, you're just dredged down in this kind of soupy mud of this is all like, this is all the worst possible scenarios that could happen because we're in a place no one cares about and drugs and corruption are kind of the baseline of our existence. And with the introduction to the port, it's this positive kind of, you, you have a smile on your face while you see them for the first time. It's not, there's nothing negative about what they're trying to do. They just kind of, they want to drink and, you know, work hard and protect what they have. And it seems kind of harmless almost in contrast to the, <laughs> the seriously dangerous um, street corners and, you know, dope fiends and being arrested. They kind of, they look like the Diet Coke of, uh, of, of bad deeds. You know, I mean, this is, it's a breath of fresh air, especially coming out of season one when there were so many arrests and, you know, so many uh, lives ruined by the end of the season. This kind of seems like, oh, okay, at least these guys, they're not trying to get their names to ring out on the street corners. They don't want to be big, bad, and tough. They want to just keep unloading ships and, you know, having a, a couple fun stories and be, you know, drunk wild men of yore. But on like, on a much lesser scale of intensity and kind of viciousness than the world that we see in West Baltimore in season one. So I think that's why I like it so much. And also the main, I find it so ballsy that they put their main character, Jimmy McNulty, who in season one kind of was the catalyst to getting the bosses off their asses to follow this drug trade and trying to nail Stringer Bell and Avon Parksdale and their operation that they put him on a boat and he's, you know, he's not involved in the cases for six, seven episodes. Uh, He's just kind of a side note. He's, you know, on the sidelines because he got punished for angering the gods and not a lot of shows do that. You know, you'd think McNulty would be, the focal point of all five seasons but what makes the wire so great is they have this unique perspective which is like an inch deep a mile wide you know they have 25 30 characters that you love and that sometimes only last one season all the people in the port i don't think any of them come back after the season mostly because most of them are either dead or uh in jail or just overall fucked so i mean they kind of get sucked into the cops and robbers world of season one and what keeps going in season three, three through five, but you kind of have hope for them and you kind of 
root for them. Maybe that the ports will make it through. And, you know, when it doesn't <laughs> and everything blows up in the end, it just resonates more because they started at a point where you thought that they were, they could get away clean and maybe just keep what they have and just exist. But I think that's what hits the heaviest at the end too. So I mean, it's a little contrasting that I'm saying it hits the heaviest because there's such a fall from grace, but at least they fell from a place where I wanted to hang, I wanted to hang out with them in the beginning. I don't think I've ever wanted to hang out with anyone else on the wire, mostly because they're in, broken down houses or everyone has guns or they're, you know, drug addicts or the police departments fucking each other, you know, to get ahead or everything else just seems terrible in the wire. And I think that now that I say it out loud, I think because everything's so shitty that when they make jokes and when they jest and, you know, there's these excellent interpersonal relationships between the cops or the brotherly relationship of Avon as kind of the mafia boss uh, in the West Baltimore drug trade and Ave and Stringer, his kind of conciliary, uh, you know, you feel for them and you root for them because they're digging out these moments of humanity in this place that seems like Baghdad almost. It doesn't seem like it's, it exists in America. So I just, I find it, very impressive that the show is hilarious and heartwarming at, at times while the general tone is just tragic. So it's just a wonderful creation. I can't believe someone made something so kind of profound and that works on all levels. And it makes sense that the people that did it were David Simon and Edward Burns who were in Baltimore during this time period, not as writers or directors, but Ed Burns was a, uh, like a homicide uh, detective or in, in narcotics for over 10 years. And he was also a elementary school teacher in the Baltimore uh, public school system. And David Simon was a beat reporter for the police department I and mean, for the paper in Baltimore and covered the police department. So then, a lot of these guys are based on real people and real stories. And I think that's why it seems so lived in and real. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're glorifying anything or, you know, shining any shining shit and calling it gold, as they say in the show over and over. And I really got that. I don't think you could shine shit into looking like gold. Not even close. Like when you just rub it all away at some point, I mean, I mean, we're th we're talking about alchemy now, but there's no way there's no way you can shine shit hard enough or nice enough that it, anyone would mistake it for gold. I guess that's the point of the analogy or the metaphor, because it's just so ridiculous. But they say it over and over in the wire, and every time it kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> and I mean, there's so many expressions too. Like when they say he's real police, they say police. And I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it just, it's something that seems uniquely Baltimore and you feel like you're getting the inside look into a world that you would never even knew existed. I mean, I had no idea that Baltimore was kind of like this and you just feel uh, grateful that, you know, you get to peek in and you're not going to get shot <laughs> and you're not going to, you know, be arrested because uh, otherwise, how would you even know that this world exists?
So props to David Simon and Ed Burns for just creating this masterpiece. And also this, this season, I loved that they, uh, they killed off a few characters that were very meaningful in season one. And it kind of shows it, the show just moves forward kind of like life that it doesn't matter who was important five episodes ago. Uh, like today is promised tomorrow is not kind of thing. And it just makes you thankful and appreciative of all the great characters. And you never know when one's going to get arrested or murdered or, you know, demoted or just written off the show because that's the way it is in Baltimore. It's just, it just every day is a new adventure. I mean, in the worst possible way, you don't know what the day's going to bring. I mean, even in the uh, last few episodes, there's a certain character named Ziggy, who's the son of the secretary, treasury secretary of the ports, Frank Sabatka, who's trying to, who's taking all this bribing money and putting it towards, um, you know, the political, the political, the political contributions. And Ziggy, it's just a fuck up, but he ends up murdering one of the Greek mafiosos guys over a couple of stolen cars because he's trying to small time be a gangster. And it's just jarring. It's just, and it shows the allure of this kind of gangster life and how these guys at the port kind of really weren't equipped for it and they were enticed by it and hypnotized by it. And it kind of just bites them in the ass because the people in the Greek mafia or the people on the street corner who are born and raised in it. And if you just try to play gangster, you kind of end up, you end up with the worst consequences because you're not adept at swimming at that depth. I mean, you're just thrown into the deep end with sharks and it's not going to end well for you. And I think that's a lesson that they're trying to tell you throughout the season. And maybe that, you know, if you're overconfident and you're, you think you can handle yourself with the big boys, maybe take a step back and realize what you're getting into before you dance with the devil. So that's my feelings on season two. Just fantastic, fun. And also the port itself, they just do a lot of helicopter shots and it's beautiful and it's unique. You know, you see all the cranes, the rust, the kind of hard-talking, grizzled men who, you know, just value themselves as stevedores. And that's, you know, the definition of who they are. And just there's just something so American about that, kind of holding on to a profession that's slowly shrinking and then taking risks to protect what you have. I just love, I love when people try to protect what they have. Like, don't reach for, you know, crazy dreams and try to move on from what you have. You just absolutely are passionate about who you are and the people around you. And you fiercely protect that from, you know, outside dangers. Give me that guy all day. That's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite plot lines and stories in general. So RIP Frank Sabatka, spoiler, and you will be missed. You made season two very interesting. And those are my thoughts. Kisses.